The kiss of reconciliation is the theme of the morning. Last night when I went home after a three-day board and staff retreat and meetings and very heavy and important items, I was weary, but before dropping off to sleep, I took my New International Bible on the bedstand and lying there reread these chapters from another version. And I'll tell you, it's one of the greatest stories I've ever read. I love the story of Joseph, and particularly this part. And doing that beats the evening news a whole lot, I want you to know for sure. Jacob hears that there is grain in Egypt, Jacob being Joseph's venerable father, and he sends ten of his sons to secure food in Egypt. What follows is an incredible thing. There were actually three visits to Egypt. Let's look at them one by one. There's the first visit, which is in the 42nd chapter, going back three chapters from where we read earlier this morning. Chapter 42. Ten sons go, Joseph being the 11th, Benjamin being the 12th, and we'll get to him in a few moments. Joseph recognizes them, even though they don't recognize him. Can you imagine what that moment was like? He had not seen these fellows for 20 years. The last he saw them was by a pit. He was 17, and they were selling him to Ishmaelite travelers. Here they are after 20 years. He spent the time in prison. He has spent the time serving in Potiphar's house as a slave, and now the monarch of Egypt, and here they are, lined up in front of him, the ones who did him dirt. Now, some have asked me, how come they didn't recognize him? Well, have you gone to a class reunion lately? Twenty years have passed. Appearances change in twenty years. He was a teenager then. Now he's 37 years old or thereabouts, and you can look a great deal different. On top of that, he was in Egyptian dress. He was not dressed up like the shepherd as they were. He's in monarch's clothing. Add to that his speech. Have you ever had a friend or a loved one move to Texas and come back five years later and talk to you? You almost need an interpreter. These accents develop depending on where you are. And so Joseph not only looked different, but he undoubtedly spoke different, and he was not speaking in their language. He had learned the Egyptian language and was speaking in another language. So his dress and his speech would mislead them. That's why they had no idea that it was Joseph. Tack on to that the idea, the thought that he was dead. And you understand why they had no comprehension at all of who he was. It was their little brother. They never dreamed he would sit on a throne, even though he told them he would. Ten men bowed down, verse 40 or verse 6 of chapter 42. But in chapter 37, verse 9, it says that eleven stars made obeisance to me. So Joseph knew when only ten of his brothers were there that eleven would bow and that Benjamin would eventually join them. And he does in the 43rd chapter, the 26th verse, 
He joined them on the second trip. Why was Joseph so hard on them? He was pretty, pretty hard on these brothers because I believe he wanted to be sure that they had repented of their sins. How would you have acted if you were Joseph? I have read through this several times, and I feel like saying, Give it to them, Joseph. Those dirty guys. They deserve punishment. So in his rough treatment of them, it almost makes you feel good. But it was not the reason why he treated them that way, just revenge. He wanted to see if they had truly repented of their sins. Chapter 42, verses 7 through 14, he speaks roughly to them and accuses them of being spies. In the 17th verse of the 42nd chapter, he locks them up for three days. And I love that part. I don't know why, but I just like it. There's enough carnality in me that enjoys that part of the story. He'd been locked up for over two years. And I think it gave them time to ponder, to think. We say, sweat it out. So for three days, he had them behind locked doors. Then in chapter 42, verses 18 through 24, he kept Simeon as a hostage. And before the other brothers leave to go back to their father, he ties him up in their presence. He's really impressing them. And then in chapter 42, verses 25 through 28, he gives them back their money. He puts the money back in the top of their sacks, and they don't know this. Now, what was the effect of all of this? It was desired because in chapter 42, verses 21 through 23, Joseph hears his brothers say, we are guilty. Of course, they didn't know he understood them, but he understood everything they were saying. And here they were standing in front of him in their own language, Hebrew, relating all that they had done. And he listens to the whole thing. And then they, says, they say, we're guilty. And at that, he had to turn away, and he cries, he weeps, when he hears them say that. Now notice their plight. They're sent on their way, a hostage kept, wanting Benjamin, the youngest, whom Joseph had never met, never seen. He was born after he was gone. He sends them on their way with the money in their bags, and if they don't come back, they're thieves because they have their money. If they go back, they have to bring back Benjamin, which they didn't want to do and which they knew Jacob would not want them to do, so he had them either way. Boy, was he putting the pressure on. It was beautiful the way he set this up. Then we see the second visit, visit in chapters 43 and 44. When they went back home, Jacob wasn't about to let them go immediately. It took hunger to cause him to say, go, take Benjamin. We're hungry. We have nothing left. So after a time, what was given them ran out, and they returned with Benjamin. They brought a present trying to buy their way, maybe, like some of us do, trying to buy our way into the kingdom of God. Can't do it. They were brothers and didn't know it. 
to the man who was there on the throne. It's a picture of how we come to God sometimes, trying to appease him with good deeds or a certain gift in the offering plate. It doesn't work. He doesn't want our money in that sense. He doesn't want our good works in that sense. He wants us. That's what Joseph was working toward, although they didn't understand it. They didn't realize it. They couldn't buy their way into the presence of this great man just as you cannot win your salvation with the gift in your hand. The songwriter said, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's the way God wants you. No strings attached. Don't try to impress God with your gifts and your goodness. He wants you just as you are, and I hope you will come to him that way today. When he saw Benjamin... Joseph had to leave the room to weep again. First time he laid his eyes on his kid brother. Very special is that younger brother. In verse 26 of chapter 43, it says they bowed themselves to him to the earth. In verse 28, they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. The dream comes true. The revelation is now apparent. Does God keep his word? Every time he keeps his word, though it takes 20 years, it will come to pass. The people in Peter's day said to the apostle Peter, why does the Lord tarry his coming? Is he going to come? Is he really going to appear? Where is the promise of his coming? He's going to come. His word is true. Everything is shaping up. For the great appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the revelation came to Joseph. Eleven will bow down now in chapter 43. They bow themselves to him to the earth. They bow their heads and make obeisance to Joseph. God will keep his word. Now Joseph puts the silver cup in Benjamin's sack as they start back to Jacob. When they find the silver cup, they come back. Chapter 44, verse 14. This time he's really got them. They fall before him on the ground. They're all the way down now. Flat on the ground in the presence of Joseph. Judah becomes the spokesman. He spoke words that were music to Joseph's ears. Look at it in verse 16 of chapter 44. God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Oh, what a moment for these brothers. God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Now they come back, falling on the ground before this monarch, knowing that they could not get away from their crime. Do you know what Judah thought? He thought Joseph was dead, so he, he was there as a murderer. They absolutely thought that Joseph was gone. That meant murder was on their hands. And he said, God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. But Joseph was alive. He wasn't dead. He was alive. The correlation is beautiful in Scripture. 
The sinner stands before the bar of God thinking that his confession will mean wrath. The sinner has down in here all of this ugliness. Maybe it's adultery, idolatry, thievery, covetousness, murder, whatever. And he thinks if he confesses it, it will bring the wrath of God on him. When in reality, if you confess it, it brings the love of God and the forgiveness of God and puts you in an elevated place with him. The devil likes to make us think that we're going to be crushed. But the Bible says he saves to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. God is always reaching out in love to us. As long as Christ lives, God can never condemn us. Isn't that wonderful? And here are these brethren with Judah as their spokesman standing before Joseph. And he says, God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. He really thought he was a goner. He thought all of the brothers were goners. But in reality, that confession brought them in to fullness and into a place of recognition in the kingdom because they acknowledged their need. Finally, after all of those years. How long have you been waiting? How long have you been covering up? How long have you been trying to hide that thing that's been down inside of you through these months or years? Today is the day God has ordained that you get it out in the open, that you come before this monarch who sits on his throne with regal robes, but with scars in his hand and on his brow and in his feet and in his side, with love oozing from his eyes. Wanting to forgive you, wanting to redeem you. May I remind you today that you have one of two choices to make. You can either bow before him now while you're in this life and receive the forgiveness of sin through the covering of his precious blood, or you will one day stand before him at the judgment bar and he will make known every deed of your life, every word, if necessary, you have ever spoken will be played back. But the, the Bible tells us that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He gives you an opportunity today to say, come into my heart. I want to be one of yours. I want to be an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. May I encourage you to face up to that reality today rather than wait till the tomorrow when you stand before the throne of God and have nothing to say. Today is the day. Now, there are two facets of this message that are important for us to get a hold of. The first is the test before reconciliation, and the second is the title of our message, The Kiss of Reconciliation. First, let us look at the test before reconciliation. Twenty years before, these brothers had sent Joseph into slavery. Now Judah is willing to accept the same fate for himself. He intercedes for Benjamin. He will become a substitute. He will become a slave in the place of Benjamin. Twenty years before, he had sent Joseph to the fate. He is now willing to accept. accept himself. 
He had thought nothing of the pain and the anguish they caused their father 20 years before. Now Judah is prepared to accept bondage if he may spare his father for more gray hairs. The test of reconciliation. Joseph had to know if these were the same cruel men that had dealt him away. He had to know if they were sincerely sorry for what they had done. You know why some do not receive the blessing of God in services like this? Do you know why some struggle along through life trying to find a handle? Because they're not sincere. They come looking for a handout. They don't really want to serve God. They don't really want to obey the commandments. They want the best of both worlds. But it can't happen that way, my friend. So the Lord puts before us a test before the reconciliation. Are you sincere in serving God? Are you sincere in your desire to walk in the pathway of the Word? If you're sincere, nothing will keep you away. But if you're not sincere, you're in for a real hard time. Dwight L. Moody used to tell the story of a woman whose husband was very wicked, and she determined to pray for him and tell his conversion. Her first commitment to God was that she would pray for 12 months every day for his salvation. So at noon, every day, for 12 months, she went into her room and sought God for his salvation. At the end of the 12 months, there was no change. She purposed before God that she would do it another six months, and she did. Every day at noon, she sought God for her husband's salvation. At the end of six months, there was apparently no change. On that last day of her pact with God, she said, should I give up? And the answer within her said, no, I will pray as long as God gives me breath. That very evening, her husband came home and walked right by the dining room table on up the stairs to the bedroom, never said a word. She waited for him to come down to dinner. He never came. She finally made her way up the stairs and standing at the door of the bedroom, she saw her husband on his knees crying out to God for forgiveness of his sins, and he was gloriously saved. When did it happen? On the last day, when if God had not answered, she was still going to say, I will not give up. I will keep praying until he comes into the kingdom of God. That's the sincerity I'm talking about. And Joseph had to see it in his brethren. They confessed their guilt. They knew they were wrong, and when he heard it, he knew they were ready for reconciliation. will happen for you today, too. Now, in verse 3 of our chapter today, three beautiful words. Try to take it in. I am Joseph! Twenty years! As far as they were concerned, he was dead. I am Joseph. How did the brothers react? Silence. Conscious, stricken silence. Not a sound. Not a movement. Have you ever had a dream where somebody was after you and you couldn't run fast enough or you couldn't yell? You, nothing would come. Isn't that a terrible feeling? 
Those are mine on Sunday nights usually when I'm so weary after a full day of preaching. I have the most terrible dreams. It's the only night I dream. And it's usually something like that, trying to get away. Walk out on the platform and nobody there, not a soul. Well, picture it that way in a sense. I am Joseph. They try to speak. They can't. Nothing comes out. Their tongues will not work. Their sin had turned what should have been joy into terror. After not seeing a brother for 20 years, you would think there would be joy, but there was absolute terror, and that's the way the word is translated, terror. Now, friends, that's exactly what your unconfessed sin will do to you. I have heard men say, I'll take my chances. You know, I'll, I'll bargain with God. When we get together, God and I, will bargain together. God's understanding. He's a God of love after all. When you stand before him, you'll be just like these brothers, tongue-tied, frightened, scared to death. They couldn't even speak. They had put him in a pit. Here he is on the throne. They stained their souls and made their father an old man for over 20 years by their sin. And now they were uncovered, and Joseph had them in the palm of his hand. Don't take your chances. The Bible says God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. Never forget it. It's like a child that will try to dam up the Mississippi with his little mud dam. He says, I'm going to stop this great river. It's just like you or me saying, God, I'll take my chances. Someday we'll have it out. The revelator John gives us a picture of Jesus with his hair white as snow. And the interesting part of Revelation 1 is his eyes as a flame of fire. Interpreted, that means they will see right through you. They know you from beginning to end. Everything that's ever gone on, he knows. And when you stand there, there will be no answer. I am Joseph. It scorches them into silence as his words penetrate their minds and their hearts. Kind of like Saul on the road to Damascus. He heard a voice which said, I am Jesus. He was dumb in the presence of the Christ for three days as God dealt with his life. To see Christ on his throne should be joy. To see Christ seated there in exaltation should bring us great hope and assurance, but instead for many it's terror and silent condemnation. Don't let it be that way. Since the brothers do not speak or move, Joseph has to speak. So in verse 4, he says, come near to me. Can you imagine how these shepherds felt drawing near to the monarch of Egypt? Now there comes an interesting sidelight into this story. There's only one reason why these brothers were saved, and that was because they were his brothers. That's the only reason they were spared, because they really were his brothers. 
And that's the only reason you're going to be spared from eternal judgment and eternal damnation is if you're a brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the plan of salvation. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Heirs of God joined, heirs a brother of Jesus Christ. That's the thing that saves us. Not joining a church, not giving so much money, not just being a good person. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We all stand in the same need. But they were brothers. And because they were brothers, they were special. He's the prince. He's the judge. And they were his brothers. Joseph looks beyond their hate and beyond their envy and takes hold of the divine purpose that he sees coming to pass. He thinks of the good that has come out of this whole thing. And if there was anger within him, it dies. It dissipates in that moment. Romans 8:28 had not yet been written, but he believed the message of it anyway. All things work together for good to those who are the called according to God's purpose. Joseph believed that God always works for good. So verse 8 is that record of his word, his feeling. So now it was not you that sent me here, but God. It was not you that brought this about. It was God. He knew that you would need to be saved, that our Father needed to be saved. So God has meant it for good, a means of safety for his family for the next five years, for the drought and the famine would last another five years. It was also a means of fulfilling the covenant God had made with Abraham, as the stars are in number, so will thy seed be. And it had to come to pass. And 70 souls come into Egypt, but over 2 million leave years later, carrying Jacob's bones with them. Oh, how beautifully Joseph handles this thing. How are you handling the circumstances that have come your way? Have you lifted your fist to God and have said, God, why? I hate you, God. You should never have allowed this to come. Or can you humbly say, God works for good all the time. I am his, he is mine, therefore what is happening is in accordance with his purpose. And I will watch his hand move in my life and I will subject myself to his plan and to his purpose. That's the way God wants it to be. Then for nine verses in chapter 45, Joseph pours out his heart to his brothers. Boy, he's got a lot to tell them. Can you imagine the look on their faces standing there with their mouths open aghast, their little kid brother telling them all that has happened? After the beautiful speech, a scene unfolds of a man who had been mistreated, denied family relationships for over 20 years, imprisoned and hated, planting a kiss of reconciliation on every brother from Benjamin right on up to the, to the eldest of the eleven. The last verse we read, verse 15, gives us the picture. He weeps. He falls on their necks. He gives each of them a kiss. 
The one who was sinned against takes the initiative. It should have been them kissing him, but he is kissing them. Get that. That's important. I've had people say, well, when they come to apologize, then I'll forgive them. Wrong attitude. Some of you are sitting in this service today with hurts, ulcers, some of you, nervous disorders, some of you, not because of some physical thing, but because of a spiritual thing. I've seen it over and over again. When we deal with what's eating us from the inside out, we suddenly see ourselves healed on the outside. Some of you have parents you haven't spoken to for years. Well, they did this to me. So what? Some of you have brothers and sisters you've not communicated with. But if you knew what they did to me, when they come to me, then God will not honor that. God will not wait for that. God speaks to you today through Joseph who planted a kiss of reconciliation on their cheeks. They were the ones that put him in the pit. They sold him. They went back with an evil report. He had done nothing wrong. He had served his God faithfully. But he goes to them in tears and kisses them and says, it's all right. It's all right. As I'm speaking, I think of a young man in a service I preached at some years ago in a college I felt strangely moved by the Spirit to say toward the end of that service that there is a person in this meeting whose father has not been spoken to for years and you need to go to a telephone as soon as this meeting is over and call him and get this thing reconciled. You've been waiting for him. God wants you to go. Later that week, a young man came to me and said, Pastor, that was me. You were right on. I called my father. I thought he would be angry with me. He hasn't had a good word for me. For years, but he wept on the other end of the phone as I asked him to forgive me. My father said, I want to get together with you real soon. That man looked like a new person because he dealt with a problem that had plagued him for years and it was destroying his spiritual life. When young, I grieved my mother one day with my insistence upon a certain act. You know how kids can work their mom. Dad had been gone. She was the sole person responsible for the family. You can learn how to get what you want. I guess that's what's made me a fairly good father. I've seen my boys try that same thing, and I said, nothing doing. I know what you're pulling off, because I was like that. I remember this particular day very, very well. As she pled with me not to go in this particular way, when suddenly she began to weep, and her tears mingled down on her cheeks and dropped on the floor below. As I stood there seeing her brokenness and evaluating my willfulness, God touched my heart and my tears mingled with hers on the floor. 
And we found ourselves in each other's arms, and she planted a kiss of reconciliation upon my cheek, and I planted one on hers, and the problem was solved. And I wonder why that event is so prominent in my mind. Could it be that if I had gone my own willful way and paid no attention to those tears, that I would have missed God for years to come? Very possible. The kiss of reconciliation solved the entire matter. Now, as we hurry to a close, I want you to see what happens to these brothers when forgiveness is seen. Notice in the last verse that we read, verse number 15, his brothers begin to talk to him. Their mouths are open. Their lips begin to move. Their tongues begin to function. His brethren talked with him before they could not talk, before they were deaf and dumb, as it were, before they were like frozen statues before him. But now, as they dealt with that which was in them, and the guilt came pouring out, their mouths were open, and they communicated with their brother. When he kissed them, is it any wonder why so many are ill, and so many are out of sorts, and so many families are having confusion, and there's hatred, and there's agony, and some people don't want to go home at the end of the day. It's because we have not planted the kiss of reconciliation on the other person's cheek. God wants us to forgive one another, even as we are forgiven by God. So there is a twofold message from this passage of Scripture in Genesis today. It is one, we need to be forgiven by God. We need to come vertically and have his forgiveness and say, Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then from there, move out horizontally, not waiting for others to come to us, but to go to them and say, I'm wrong. Forgive me. Let's get this thing straightened out. Let us not go on this way. Let us be in unity together. Then in verse 27 of this chapter, the brothers are sent back home to bring their father, and when Jacob heard that Joseph was alive, verse 27 says, the spirit of Jacob revived. That's what will happen when you meet God in this kind of way, when you face up to the facts of what's happening and you're willing to acknowledge your need. Jacob was revived. In chapter 42, verse 36, Jacob said, all these things are against me, but now he can say all things are working together for good. Christianity is a love affair, just like a family is a love affair. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, 22, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. That means to be accursed at the Lord's coming, anathema, maranatha. Do you want to be accursed at the Lord's coming? If so, forget that you need his forgiveness. Forget that you need to go to those that you're not having fellowship with. And there's aught in your spirit, and it's eating away at you. If you want to be accursed, if you want to hear anathema maranatha, then continue in that way. But I submit to you there's a better way. Run and kiss. Throw yourself on the love of God and thrust yourself on the necks of those that you need to be reconciled with. Plant a kiss there and be healed. J. 
Jacob is able to spend the rest of his life with his sons in Goshen. Happy years because of the kiss of reconciliation. We are to love his appearing and we are to love the brethren. There's one thing that will keep us from that. And that's to bear in our hearts the guilt of the past and to bear in us the resentments and the bitternesses that build because we're so proud to go and say, let's get this thing resolved. I'm asking you today to come to the cross and be healed. This Old Testament story has a New Testament principle. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. And the principle of they shall know we are his disciples when we have love one for another. You need his healing touch today? Let's go to the throne. There is grain, there is food, there is provision. But there must be a meeting before it can be granted. Let's pray together, please. Our Father and our God, your Holy Spirit has settled down upon this meeting and there are people in the balcony and on the lower floor who are reaching out to you. There are those watching by television who have deep needs in their lives. And I pray for them as well in this moment and those listening by radio and by tape anywhere in this world. We pray for them now that the Spirit of God will arrest them and bring them to the place of surrender. May we not fight with you anymore and may we not fight with one another anymore. May we receive the forgiveness that we need and have reconciliation with God and with men. Speak to hearts all over now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.